earlier this month, a newspaper of record carried an article entitled, How a Bit of Awe Can Improve Your Health. My interest peaked, I clicked on the link and immediately read it. Dacker Keltner, author of the book profiled in the article, says, quote, Awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your understanding of the world, end quote. Awe is cultivated, according to Keltner, through perceived vastness that results in the absence of self-preoccupation. The poetry lovers among us will recall the Anglican priest and poet Charles Wesley's line in Love's Divine, All Love's Excelling, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Being in awe, being full of awe, being intoxicated with wonder is to some extent the experience of being lost outside of oneself, of being catapulted onto a different plane of existence where the border between heaven and earth is indiscernible. In Keltner's research, he found that awe is fostered in four primary ways. Choosing the unfamiliar path, and I'm not going to test you on this after the service. Choosing the unfamiliar path paying attention, focusing on the moral beauty of others, and practicing mindfulness. Choosing the unfamiliar path, paying attention, focusing on the moral beauty of others, and practicing mindfulness. If the season after the epiphany is anything, it is a season of awe. The tone for the season is set by the Magi choosing the unfamiliar path to and from Jesus, the divine toddling tyke. It continues with John the Baptist paying attention at, enough at Jesus' baptism to perceive the Holy Spirit alighting on him like a dove. It carries on with Jesus spotlighting the moral beauty of peacemakers, the meek, and those who thirst for justice. And this season ends on the last Sunday after the Epiphany with Jesus' senior apostles practicing mindfulness in the wake of his transfiguration atop Mount Tabor, except Peter, of course, but that's a different sermon for a different time. The practice of awe by Jesus and our heroes in the faith can seem remote from our own experiences in our everyday lives when we're managing mortgages, rent, laundry, relationships, mental health, fill in the blank. How am I, a normal person, supposed to live an awe-filled life? An awful life, if you will. Some of us do that better than others. <laughs> Why choose the unfamiliar path when my commute to work is perfectly timed? 
When do I have to, when do I have time to pay attention when I'm worried about making ends meet? How am I to focus on the moral beauty of others when I am preoccupied through social media and the news on the evil of this time? How do I practice mindfulness when my mind is the last place I want to go before or after a long week of work? Just over two weeks ago, when I was the guest preacher for another parish's epiphany service, so January 6th, the Lord revealed to me in deep prayer during the prayers of the people that I wanted Wingstop for dinner. It had been a long day of writing, familiarizing myself with customs foreign to me in this parish, and preaching. So I was ready for the familiar flavors and aromas of my favorite fast food restaurant. Thank you, God, I whispered under my breath during the prayers of the people. I've been trying to figure out dinner all day long. As you can tell, I was not meditating on the mystery of the incarnation, but on the mystery of how I could time my order just right to maximize the heat of the chicken wings and french fries. So if the service ends at this time and I am this far away from Wingstop and Wingstop is this far away from my apartment, then the meal will be steaming by the time I get home. Again, it had been a long day. After, after the service concluded, I stood in the receiving line, gathered my things, got in my car, placed my order on the Wingstop app before I left in my car. I was not texting and driving. And drove the 10 minutes to the restaurant with eight minutes to spare. When I pulled up into the parking lot, I noticed a father and a son playing carefree. I was struck instantly by the moral beauty of their relationship. They too, it appeared, were waiting for their order to be filled. I walked into the restaurant and let the attendant know I was there. After searching for my order, she broke Devastating news to me, truly devastating after a long day, that they had missed the order. No problem, I said, with every fiber of tack that I could muster. <laughs> no problem. And so I sat down so I could hurry up and wait. By this time, the father and son were now inside the restaurant getting their drinks. The son spilled his drink all over his shirt. The dad didn't panic or overreact. After their drinks were sorted, he took his son to the car to wait with his wife. A few minutes later, the father walked back in and sat next to me. How long have you been waiting, he asked. Not very long, I said. Well, he responded, I've been waiting for a long time. Moments later, he stood up and walked to the counter to buy two beers. 
That's sweet of him to do for his wife, I thought to myself. And just as I was finishing that thought, he was placing the second beer in my hand. This is for you. You might as well. We're waiting anyway. It has been two weeks and I am still in awe of his gracious and hospitable gesture. Awe, wonder, epiphany in the most unexpected moment. When I wanted to rush home to comfortable clothes and an evening of television, a stranger whose beautiful relationship with his son interrupted my self-preoccupation and reintroduced me to the vastness of God's good and mysterious world, prompting me to pay attention long enough to choose the unfamiliar path at the prompting of someone I'd never before seen and may never see again. When attended to and cultivated, Awe is as natural for Christians, for human beings of all stripes, as taking our next breath, taking the time to pause and be in awe is worthwhile. And I don't need a New York Times article to tell me that. Amen. <laughs>